It's no secret that writing can be lonely work, but does it really have to be? Whether you're full-time, part-time, or just starting out, you'll get insights into the tricks, tips, and production habits of writers from every level of the biz. From best-selling authors to those launching their first novels, you're sure to be in the company of friends as we encourage great writers to divulge and share their secrets. This is The Great Writer Share Podcast with your host, best-selling author, Daniel Wilcox. Hello and welcome to the Great Writer Share podcast with me, Daniel Wilcox, where every week I hijack an hour or so of time from some of the kindest and hardest working writers around today to join me on the show and discuss everything that makes them tick, raw and bounce. Today's date is the 5th of May and I'll go straight into my personal update. So I'm chipping away currently at my non-fiction collaboration for authors, which is clocking in at around 50,000 words a minute, which I'm very, very happy with. Um, that's gone off to an editor to do their magic. Hopefully there won't be too much when it comes back, but you know, I'm, 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 I'm open to edits and anything as they come by. Um, also waiting on a couple of bits of feedback from some of the contributors so that I can get that locked down and start looking at the launch date and the launch plan and everything else. So hopefully by the time this episode airs, I will have picked a date, but as of yet, there is no date currently for that. But uh, I'm tentatively saying, looking at end of June, beginning of July, um, but I'll keep you guys posted on that. Chipping away on my horror serial as well. So I've officially wrapped up the prequel and I've started putting that out into the world so I can start building the mailing list, um, start getting readers interested as I start working on the first main book, which I'm live writing through Patreon. So just a reminder for people who are listening for the first time or have maybe missed a few episodes for whatever reason, um, this serial I am writing or publishing each chapter as I finish it onto Patreon. So I'm encouraging any eager readers to come into the Patreon community and basically just get their book up uh, up front in advance. Um, obviously supports me as I go. And uh, I've had a few, I've had a handful of people pledge to become patrons, which has been really, really motivating. So I'm going to do another push out and see if I can get some more patrons there. Um, but yeah, just mostly diving into the story. And uh, actually this so far is one of my favorite stories I've written. Although obviously everyone says that when they're starting a new project. Um, and yeah, I've got a lot of I've got a lot of hope for where this is going to end, and I'm sort of really proud of the direction it's heading so far. So I'll keep you posted on that as it comes. Uh, I am also in the process of still securing down the details of the secret Great Writers Share project that I teased last week. So no new news on that today. But uh, all I can say is that if you are a patron or thinking of becoming a patron of the show, then I'd get involved sooner rather than later because it should be coming within the next few weeks. And I'm very excited to bring it to you. So uh, yeah, keep your, keep your ears peeled for that. Ears peeled? Do people peel their ears? Ah, who cares? Move on. <laughs> I also just want to do a very, very quick shout out to say congratulations to Sasha Black on making it as one year as a full-time author. Um, and though I won't be celebrating every single author that I know who hits that one year mark, it's mostly just to promote the fact that she has put a fantastic uh, episode out on her podcast, The Rebel Authors, um, and also on her blog about her top 10 lessons learned while living through her first year as a full-time author. So if you're thinking of making this your full-time gig, if you want to work out how to get there, if you're wondering what the big lessons are that you should take away from someone who has just made it for the, through their first full year, then check that out. I'll put links in the show notes below. Today's guest is the one and only Nick Cole, who is a sci-fi writer of many different things, mostly known well for his Legionnaire series, which he has co-written alongside uh, Jason Anspach and uh, Anspach and they yeah they've absolutely been killing it i spoke to nick uh, a couple of years ago on the story studio with me and luke condor 
And around that time, we were sort of talking about ways to make money in indie fiction. We were talking about um, choice of becoming commercially successful or critically acclaimed and how that was a dichotomous relationship that now seems to be bridging a bit slightly. Um, but in those three years, Nick has come on a, a hell of a long way. I mean, he was already a rock star beforehand, but this time, uh, you'll notice it in the interview, he's actually driving around wherever he is with his with his wife and business partner, collecting sushi while he's taking the time to chat to me on the podcast. So it's uh, it's it's really interesting actually speaking to authors when they're out in the wild doing what they're doing and they, they do donate some of their precious time. So if you're listening, Nick, thanks very much for that. Uh, we talk a lot about innovating rapid release and how the rapid release model is evolving and how it has changed a lot over the past few years because I think everyone at this point, if you're an independent author, is familiar with the, the model of putting out books, putting out books, putting out books, two weeks, one week, one month, however quickly you want to do it. Um, but Nick talks about his innovative approach that he's been using to launch the Legionnaire series and Consequence series off that as well and how that's been earning him success. We talk about guarding your brand and how important it is to be true to what you've promised originally to the readers and making sure you've got a strong image and everything connects in a way that it should and that it just holds the integrity that it needs to. And we talk a lot about giving readers what they want because readers are the powerhouses and the driving force behind a lot of what you do. So there's no point in ever forgetting the fact that they exist because if they weren't there, you wouldn't be there. So we talk a lot about that. Um, but before we dive into the interview, I'll just do a quick shout out to Patreon page over at www.patreon.com forward slash great writers share, where for as little as $1 a month, you can get access to exclusive episodes, which are upcoming in the pipeline. Uh, you can get early access to episodes and you can get into our Slack group. You can uh, get extra bonus monthly goods and yeah, lots of good stuff over on the Patreon page. So head over to patreon.com forward slash great writers share to get involved. And as I teased, it's better to do it sooner rather than later. Uh, and without any further ado, I'm going to dive into the interview with the one and the only Mr. Nick Cole. Enjoy. Nick Cole is a former soldier and working actor living in Southern California. When he is not auditioning for commercials, going out for sitcoms or being shot, kicked, stabbed or beaten by the students of various film schools for their projects, he can be found writing books. Nick's, books, the, Nick's book, The Old Man and the Wasteland, was an Amazon bestseller and number one in science fiction. In 2016, Nick's book, Control-Alt-Revolt, won the Dragon Award for Best Apocalyptic Novel. The Galaxy's Edge series is his new best-selling series and an absolute audible smash hit. Nick, welcome to the show. It is a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much, sir. Man, I'm so excited to have you. Um, we were saying just before we started recording, it's been about, I don't know, two, maybe three years since we last spoke. Um, and yeah, I think to, a lot... To you and Luke... To me and Luke last time, yeah, on the story studio, things have things have changed quite a lot. I think um, on on both sides of the recorder. But my my yeah. first question I want to dive into is uh, the last time we spoke, we went quite in depth about how Stephen King has been an inspiration for you, um, and specifically, we spoke a little bit about the Dark Tower. I'm currently about 200 pages from finishing Dark Tower Seven. Without spoiling it, oh. am I in for a wild ride? Um, did you pass you? I think you passed the mind trap, right? Uh. What's just so happened? dark. Oh, the, dark the dandelos just happened. Yeah, dark. Dark Tower Seven, which is the final book, right? Mm -hmm. um, if, if you don't count the sort of one point or three point five that came along later, yes, um, it contains one of the most ingenious plot devices I've ever seen. And I don't know if you're there yet, but there's a point where Stephen King tells the reader, "Listen, you can walk away from this book, <laughs> and you can be happy." 
He really like breaks the fourth wall. And he says, and you should do that if you want a happy ending. You should just think that everybody had a great time in life and, you know, all your favorite heroes ended well. But if you do proceed, um, you are going to face some things you don't want to face. And it's really crazy because that's kind of how the book starts and warms up and gets into book, you know, two from one to two the mind trap of Roland kind of losing his mind about realities. The same thing happens with Jake and things like that. And so he really does offer the reader this moment to walk away from the story and have a happy ending. Mm. And I actually know people who've tried to do that. They've taken him up on that author, but even that was kind of a mind trap in and of itself and that they had to finish. I think it's like the last maybe 50 pages or so. I'm so I'm so excited. I'm Um, on the cusp of, of getting to that point. Yeah, so I think it's it's a wonderful thing. It's you no, know, you're going again. It's the most brilliant ending ever written, in my opinion. I know people have strong feelings about Stephen King, but he truly is a modern day master. On writing is the best book about writing that you can you can read, mm-hmm. and there's no there's no class, there's no formal education that will I real I think really train you so much to be a modern writer, a modern best-selling writer, a modern sort of pulp content, rapid release fiction, keep people on the edge of their seats writer, like um, Stephen King's every book that he writes, you know, writes. Mm-hmm. So uh, on writing is excellent, but the Dark Tower ends so perfectly. I wish I could say the last line to you because it's, it's memorized to me, um, but it's everything. It was always there all along. It was right in front of your face. Yeah, I'll definitely check in with you when I when I get to the end because there's a couple of people who along the way have been like, oh, I can't wait for you to get to the end. And I'm like, I'm so, so close. Um, and I've got yeah. more time at the minute to obviously get through to that. But um, yeah. obviously for people who want to find out a bit more about uh, our conversation on that, they can look at the uh, the last time I spoke to you and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, but one of, the things that, one of the things that we did... Uh, tease or sort of touch on a little bit last time um because i've gone back and re-listened to to that episode just to refresh my memory um was we were talking a lot about the sort of um you can either be commercially successful or you can be i've completely forgotten the other side of that coin but basically two sides of coin between or critically acclaimed or critically accepted and uh, we spoke a little bit about what back then was a bit of a new model in publishing with the rapid release these these growing massive expanding worlds um and obviously since then you've you've smashed it out of the park with uh, Galaxy's Edge this series. Did you want to give uh, my audience a little bit of a background on the Galaxy's Edge series and how that all came about to be? Yeah, the Galaxy's Edge series came out of, I was writing um, the Weird series with kind of a collection of authors, indie authors, and it. Uh, I think it was ahead of its time. It was just executed badly because like so much in publishing, you're kind of feeling your way through and trying to figure out what works and doesn't work. And we knew that if you could bring content to the, the um, market in, in, a, in, a, in a faster manner, then people would be willing to buy more, engage more, and stay sort of in, in, in a buying mode in a world. Um, what we see that in, in the modern equivalent for people who maybe aren't rapid readers or writers who aren't or whatever, we see on Netflix and all the streaming services, we see people not really diving into you know regular TV and watching one episode a week. We see people waiting for a show to come out, sometimes already with two and three seasons, and then they dive in and they watch, you know, they binge watch that show over the course of one week. And so we theorized, well, this is possible in writing, but you know, really if you go back to Trade Pub, you go back to people like 
George R. R. Martin or even Stephen King. You know, these are people who maybe at best in a good year release two books a year. So this is this is not the same thing. But then um, we tried to execute with weird. And I would say that we were one of the first people to do that. We did it badly. Then you kind of had this host of other people come along the 20 books to 50, you know, uh, the crowd and and they really actually executed the the um, performance of keeping a steady stream of content up so well that I think it actually plundered out the market and it, it sort of oversaturated the market with rapid release. Now we're moving into a new phase where I think you'll be able to mini rapid release. Um, but you won't be able to do it to the point where people got carried away with it, which is like, I'm going to do a book every day. I'm going to do a book every week. And, you know, people were hiring ghostwriters and making contracts and kind of just pumping out some not good material and oversaturating the market. Amazon has reacted to that and taken a number of steps to dial that back. But I don't think they've dialed back the actual rapid release uh, system, as in like, I think an author can put together three to five books and release those over the course of maybe two to three months uh, in, in sort of an interval period, and then um, maybe step back and work on your next series and kind of disappear for a few months. But I think if you're going to do this every day, once a week method, Amazon it has set up the algorithm to sort of dial you back. And, and that's probably for the best, because we always have to think as indie writers, Am I serving the, the, the concept of buying books on Amazon and letting people try us out? Because the strength that TradePub has over us is that they go in and they hire a lot of great editors and they craft and curate those novels and they get the best to try to really get it up there. The weakness they have is that takes forever. The strength that indies have is they can react with sort of a lightning speed and a flexibility and get content out faster to the market. The weakness that they have is they don't hire good editors. They don't work with the best writers. They, uh, you know, what we saw in the last year is they got over obsessed with just getting anything out. And that's never good. You always want to put your best foot forward. So I think we are in a marriage of those things right now. And you're seeing the people who are willing to embrace it do that. That is what Galaxy's Edge is. Galaxy's Edge has a staff of about 12 people that we hire to maintain content quality. So lots of editors, great cover artists, line editors. Um, we're doing everything that we can to put forth the best books. Are we releasing a book every day or every month? No. What we do is we try to release in short bursts um, a series of stacked novels like we're doing the Savage Wars right now. Um, it's three novels. It's gonna. They, they started coming out last month. One just dropped yesterday, and there's a final one next month. Bam, that release series is over. We step back. We have some other titles stacked. We wait a few months. We go in again. But the Galaxy's Edge series, like I said, came out of, uh, of Weird, and it was basically um, my co-author in that, Jason Anspach and I, getting together and writing our version of Star Wars. Hmm. And instead of concentrating on a battle for the Jedi soul, we concentrated on a battle for the stormtrooper's soul and we analyzed what star Wars did and we took what was right and what was good and tone and feel and look and magic. And we disregarded what was bad, which, you know, like, you know, we don't want to devolve into a discussion on the topic of star Wars, <laughs> but we can all kind of like agree. There may have been some missteps recently yeah. with fan yeah. service. And that's like, that's what really the indie m model is all about. It is about, 
fan service. We have to get a reader service. I don't like the term fan, but reader service. We have to get away from this sort of Hemingway, George R. R. Martin gravitas thing where we tell the readers, you'll get it when I get to it. You know, you'll, you'll get nothing and like it. We have to get away from that. And we have to think more like a tea shop. Is that a good English reference, you know, or, you know, like in America, <laughs> bagel shop. And we have to, we have to cut the steaks and, and serve the tea and make the cucumber sandwiches how the customer wants them, not necessarily how I want them. And we have to like create an environment where the, the, the reader feels like he's part of something. And that's what Jason Ansbach really did with building the brand, creating an insider group creating a place for all the readers to come and be a part of something. And what we found with them is they said, well, I want a lot of content as much as you can give me. And we said, Oh, we want to do that. Cause we want to, you know, we want to be successful at this. But then we had to balance that with what we don't want to be is we don't want to be carnies. We don't want to just turn it into like, Hey, here's a fun house over here. So we had to balance their desire with wanting a lot of content with our desire to do it right. And that's what the Galaxy's Edge series is in a nutshell. And that is how I, if you remember from the last podcast, I give long answers. Yes, and it's incredibly frustrating because it gives me about 20 different questions to ask you and I'm not going to be able to get through all of them. Um, I, I'm going to touch on a couple of points there and try and hit a few bits at once though because uh, I remember when we last spoke, um, obviously me and Luke showered you with compliments because we are fans of your, your writing, your quality, the, the prose that you write is, is rich, it's beautiful um, and we spoke a lot there about how speed can sometimes compromise the quality of your books. Um, you spoke right. there a little bit about mini rapid release. How are you, how are you managing to ensure that your quality is there while also trying to keep up with a somewhat regular speedy schedule? Well, first off, thank you for the compliments that that is so like, you know, when you have peers in your field that that, like, I think sometimes the readers, they, they enjoy it on the fun level and they, they don't see that stuff because they're actually having so much fun in the story, but that stuff makes the story good. So like when your peers come and say, you did good there, like that (laughs) means so much, like, cause, cause you know, you know how it is to write stuff and like to, to get it right takes time and dedication and vision and studying up. So thank you. Um, I would say this, how do we, how do we like, so right now I'm working on a new series that Jason and I are going to release. And I've been working on that for maybe four months while the Savage Wars series has been stacked and coming out. The way that I get it right is I work with editors. So for this series, I needed to work with a technical editor because there were some technical things um, regarding the military that I wanted to get specific. I have military experience. This person has more specifically the experience I'm looking for. So I worked with two different sort of special operator types to get it just right. Um, I was giving them chapters every day. I was going back and revising their notes. Then I go to uh, a, a line editor who goes through the first draft for me, which is really about the third draft and kind of cleans everything up and looks at that. That is the lovely Miss Nicole. Say hi, Nicole. Hi, ah. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> She's with me 24. I had to marry her so that she can now edit all my books. No, <laughs> no, she just, she just loves to read it. And she's got, um, she's an opera singer. So she has this massive attention to detail and making sure everything, you know, so we want to get our novels grammatically correct. That's out of the get-go. No matter how great the story is, um, you don't want to lose that reader there who gets upset because you're using, you're making basic mistakes. And it's not, it's not a reflection that you're a bad writer, that you make basic mistakes. 
especially in the rapid release format, you're so caught up in the storytelling that you might reuse the wrong there, 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 there. You might mm. use the wrong too. You might make some some mistakes that aren't coherent. And that doesn't mean you're, I mean, if you're writing a 150,000 word novel, you are going to make mistakes. When I was at HarperCollins, I wrote three novels, four novels for them. And when I got the rights back to those, it was amazing when I sent them through an editorial process and they had been through an established trade pub editorial process, how many of those reviews still had mistakes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's always going to be mistakes. So you have that, the, the, you have the people who are technically advising you, you have the person who is sort of developmentally advising you now, right now, that project now goes to main grand editor and that's a guy named david gatewood and david gatewood did you guys watch the 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 queen over there in england that we obsessed over over here in england uh, america no we we get sick of that. okay so uh, yeah you're like ah we're done with that um, the crown no not the queen the crown yeah no um, i haven't yeah, so I so the the crown had this sort of fix it. Uh, the queen had this sort of fix it guy when she first got in. His name was Tommy Lachelle's or something like that. So I have that guy, and he happens to look just exactly like that guy, and he's <laughs> mean like that guy to me, and doesn't let me, the queen, get away with anything. Um, doesn't let me get away with any sort of erroneous flights of fancies, and I call him Mean Tom. His <laughs> name is David Gatewood, and David Gatewood stops me from my shenanigans and keeps me on the, the the storytelling trail he is the main grand poobah of editors after him we have another editor who comes in and she does a final pass her name is lauren moore and she's cleaning everything up then it will go to the galaxy's edge insiders because part of being in the galaxy's edge insiders which is a subscription uh, model that, that jason set up um, they actually want early access to the content. They want to get involved right after, off the bat. That's like an important thing to them. So they want to read this. And, and what we found with them is that several of them are quite adept at going through and saying, hey, this is not right, blah, blah, blah. So there's this huge commitment to getting it right, to getting it show ready the moment we hit publish. Mm. I, think that that was, I think that that was missing in a lot of the rapid release crowd because there's there's kind of this good enough mentality and you have to stay on the back of the tiger and you got to hit these release marks. So how we get around that? Well, what we do is we get ahead of it. We go ahead and stack those novels in quiet and secret, which is the hardest thing for a writer <laughs> to do because you've just written it and you want to share it with everybody and you want to tell them about it on Facebook. And I would say the biggest skill that an indie writer needs to learn is the gift of restraint. Don't share the cover you just paid 1500 bucks for. Don't talk about the novel. Don't. The reason that you don't want to do any of that is you have to look at every reader as kind of having an enthusiasm level for your project. And the most enthusiasm they will ever have is the first time they ever hear about it. The first time they see the cover, the first time that you talk about it. So why not just save that for publishing day? Because that's probably where you're gonna get your biggest buy decision. They see the cover, they're like, oh my gosh, that's a demon fighting a witch with an AK-47. This novel was written <laughs> for me. You know, like, but why show them that. that cover if, if yeah, if there's no buy link? They're like, you're, you're saying, and you should be excited about this in six more months you know, in three more months or whatever it is. So, you know, writers really need to learn that gift of restraint. Now it comes in in the rapid release moment. Like now, instead of like waiting for one book, now you're, you're going to stack three books and you're going to sit on them and then you're going to release them over a 15 day period. So you do have to like engage in this huge amount of restraint, which I don't actually think writers have. 
I think it's kind of antithetical to us. I, I, I think like you can see that in the addiction mentality. We have a tendency because of the nature of writing to be very all in people and no restraint because as the player says in Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, we do on stage what other people do off stage. We're the opposite of people. So we can't, we can't really have restraint, but then we have to put on our business hat we have to say, okay, I better have restraint. I better not share anything until there's a buy link. I better, you know, kind of stack these novels so that when someone comes in and re- reads Witch with an AK-47, they they read that first book and they're like, wow, this book was developed so well and I liked it and the characters are great and there were no grammatical errors. I'm going to read book two right now. I hope book two is there. And in the rapid release method, book two is there either via pre-order or maybe you just put it up. Like, or maybe that person has to just wait 15 days. But the main thing is they have, they have somewhere to go after falling in love with you. And so like, just imagine that if you went on a date with a significant other and it was a great first date and, and you wanted a second date to happen. Well, how did we used to do it? Like if you were dating George Marsh, George R. R. Martin, he would say, great, we'll get together in seven years. Well, that's a horrible, <laughs> that's a horrible relationship. Yeah. Best analogy you ever. Know. Yeah, exactly. No, I will see you this weekend when the next book drops and, and you know, love's going to happen. And so that's kind of, we have to make love to the reader. That's the name of my forthcoming book, <laughs> Making Love to the Reader. <laughs> Available in stores soon. Um, Obviously, this is this is turned into a massive operation. You've got other collaborators in there working with you. You've got your whole line of editors. You've got this entire system built around Galaxy's Edge. But in the beginning, it, it can't have started like that. I imagine there was some, and obviously, correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth here, but I imagine there was some kind of uh, intention. This is very, very deliberate to try and get this approach. But what was the, what did the beginning of this look like? How did you, what measures of success were you looking for in order to go, okay, let's expand this and put all these systems in place? It was very ironically that post-apocalyptic sort of, because I was, as you know well know, I was, and still am, a post-apocalyptic writer. Now, people who kind of are really buying me a lot would say, oh, he's a space marine space opera writer. Mm. But it really did kind of come out of that post-apocalyptic series weird. And, you know, the weird kind of burned down all around us. And I, I actually provided the gasoline and the flames when I saw like, oh, this is not really working we're not getting these sales. People are not contributing. I have bad partners or no partners. People committed. They're not doing their job. And so, like I said, it was a great, it was a great formula and it was, it was plagued by people not wanting to work. And that's what you really have to have in the galaxy's edge or in the rapid release thing. You have to have people who are willing to commit. Jason was somebody, Jason Anspach, my co-creator with galaxy's edge is is this guy that I met through that. And we both kind of had the same approach to it. Like we realized the system could work, that there was an amount of storytelling, an amount of, of development as in developing a brand. And that really, I have to give a lot of the credit to Jason there. He understood the concept of brand and he was willing to develop it and build it. I was still kind of laboring under this, you know, try to get a hit like the old man in the wasteland, see if the audience reacts, go ahead and give them a follow on. I was antiquated. I think it really um, coalesced for us and came together for us when we talked to the Foxes, which first it was really Richard Fox who writes the Ember War series. And he said, like, listen, everybody in the Space Marine community kind of works together and helps each other with their, their, their releases. And it's kind of this rapid release mentality. Oh, what's rapid release? Well, you stack books and you try to release one book a month. Mm, that sounds impossible. Well, not for two people working together. For one person, it's kind of tough. For two people, yeah, they can do it. 
And he said, you should read Chris Fox because Chris Fox is kind of the data guru about this whole thing. And so we got in touch with Chris Fox and he talked with us and helped us. He also has a series of books that everybody can really learn everything about this from called Six Figure Author. Um, Chris Fox is the data science man. I think the, the truths that are in his book will weather any change in publishing. And spoiler, there will always be change in publishing because everybody's always trying to find the magic book to get a button to push to get 100,000 sales. And once you find that, everybody else finds the button and then they all push it to death and then the button's worn out. But in Chris's books and Six Figure Author, he really stops and, and takes you back and teaches you how to understand, here's how to find your audience. Here's how to write a book for your audience. Here's how to keep that audience really satisfied. And so um, thinking back about everything I learned from Chris Fox and thinking about the market today, it's, it's still, all of that is still applicable. It's still, it's still good policy, best practices. So Jason and I got together and we identified what we wanted to do. And so that was really, I asked Jason, I said, well, what would you write if you could write anything you wanted to write? And he said, well, I'd, I'd write Star Wars and, and I like GI Joe. And I said, well, why don't you write that? And he goes, uh, no, you can't write that. It's already been written. And I said, no, it's not like that. Like you can write Star Wars. You just can't write Luke Skywalker and you can't write about the force. But you can you can kind of like take that that the we call it playing with action figures in the dirt. You can you can tell your own stories with your own action figures like we all did when we were kids. You know, you're just gonna have to change some of the names and and the truth of it is is you'll tell a different story, even if it is the same characters. But so we just took the influence of of soldiers in a Star Wars type fantasy universe. And we came up with the concept of Legionnaire and we started writing books towards that, that end. And we stacked two books together and we said, okay, well, let's see if there's an audience here. And lo and behold, like the first book Legionnaire just came out of the gate and we worked with the other sort of Mongol cons of space opera and did sort of some, some email list sharing and things like that. And then we just bam hit it. And it just went, you know, like right through the roof. It was, it was, really super powerful. Um, then we saw that we needed to follow that up. So we jumped on that 30, you know, uh, one book every, uh, 30 days tiger. We called that the back of the tiger. And that was tough. Like we held on to that long enough to identify the audience, get the audience in the galaxy's edge system, get the books ranking. I would say that took about nine books and then there was probably some circuits fried and we had to kind of step back and then move sort of to this like, okay, let's disappear off the radar for a little while. Keep doing reader service, keep providing content, work with other writers to develop more content, to keep the galaxy alive, stack another series, start putting out more content. Um, and always with the focus of maintaining the brand and, and serving the readers and not just sort of like, um, I think the mistake that a writer can do, and I, I see them doing it kind of nine times out of 10, is you have a big audience, you've written a lot of books, and you're not feeling it, and you're running out of ideas. And so you write, maybe you phone one in and you overcharge for it, and you start losing the audience. And that's just a dangerous way to go. And so if we ever felt ourselves going that way or even talking about it or not feeling it, we stepped back and we said, it's, it's better to do nothing than to hurt the brand. And so we kept, you know, 
Jason and I have a strength is that we have two people working together, thanks to God. And, and we can both kind of like encourage each other or bounce ideas off each, off each other or do this really hard thing that partners have, call each other out for being phonies. And I feel bad for single writers working on a, a brand themselves because who's there to call bullshit, you know, to not put too fine a point on it. Yeah. Who's there to like help you work through your ideas. So in that, like when I say thanks to God, and that I have a gift and Jason has a gift and that like we are there to give each other either encouragement, inspiration or a hard time so that we never make that mistake of like, man, I'm tired and bored and I'm going to blow up the death star again. And you know, like, isn't that what star Wars has become? It's like, now there's a big thing that's got to be blown up. And that, and that can easily, I mean, we jam that on star Wars, but like, what else do you do? Like when you've done it once, it's, it's really hard to not do it again and again and again. And if, you know, especially in a movie, but like it kind of happens in writing too, with these series, like it's, it's, you build up these huge moments and then like, you know, you, you, it's like a circus trick and they're like, the audience comes back for the next book and you're like, and now I'll do it blindfolded and it becomes a little bit comical. And so I think Jason and I were able to make some steps towards building a brand, um, building, building a story arc over three seasons that allowed us to develop characters in a more meaningful way that connect with the audience and keep the story going instead of turning into a series of circus tricks. Mm. And the brand is absolutely beautiful. I mean, if you see all the covers against each other, you can tell which series are different series. It's striking. It's, uh, it is because my, my background's marketing. So I look at the kind of stuff that you have done with the branding here and it, it deserves a round of applause. What does your, well, um, thank you. That's, and that's Jason's background too. And like, and that comes in, that costs some money, you know, like mm-hmm. we've had to work with pros instead of sort of the, I'll do your spaceship cover for 25 bucks or 40 bucks. Like we literally had to go to blizzard and hire an artist, you know, like I think when he told us his price, I think green almost died. There is a point where you, you can tell the difference between mm. money and not having money. So you know, that's, that's a hard truth in there. And I think that's a hard one for writers because we don't always have money. Mm. And just to, sorry, just to clarify, because I think your, your uh, audio went a little bit shaky then. Did you say Bloomsbury you've hired, you hired an artist from? Um, Blizzard. Blizzard, Blizzard oh. you know, the, the, the video game entertainment and a bunch oh, wow. of other writers, uh, artists, like, I mean, our main guy is out of actually Italy and his name is Tom, Tommaso Renari and he is just an outstanding, but it was, there was a big trial and error part, you know, and sometimes we hired an expensive right, uh, um, artist, like on the initial uh, Galactic Outlaws cover, beautiful cover, didn't work for the brand and needed to be rebranded. And so we all, we never, we never pulled back from doing it right, even if we'd done it wrong. And like, even in the story, even in the writing of the story, we made um, a critical kind of error in gluing books two and three to book one. And there was a lot of like, sort of like reader dissatisfaction over that. Like, well, these don't like really match and I love it. And they would say like, if I powered through to book five, I understood it, but (laughs) we didn't want to do that. So we took the time to go back and actually not rewrite it, but like, step break the fourth wall and explain what we were doing here Mm. and and try to tell people like like because it was a serious problem but what i'm trying to say is like we never said good enough 
we kept trying to refine and refine and refine until it was absolutely meeting the expectations of those who were interested in possibly reading it. What did your division of responsibilities look like with you and Jason? I would say um, it's very unfair for the most part. Uh, um, the truth of it is, is we write everything 50, 50 and we work on everything together. Um, but at that point, my sort of skill set ends and Jason takes over and does a lot of marketing and a lot of sort of late nights. Uh, Jason is, is 100% completely responsible for the brand. And, and so it becomes unfair, very unfair to him. Um, I try to do other things to support. I'll try to pick up like slack and editing, or I'll try to do a lot more sort of interviews or things like that. Um, but the division of the work is, is really 50, 50. We both come up with all the, the stories and, and things like that. So, um, but I also, I, I mean, I'll give myself a little credit. I'm, I'm pretty visionary about sort of out of the box. Uh, let Nicole step out of the car here real quick. Go for it. Babe. <laughs> She's going to get us some sushi. Um, oh, nice. I'm, I, I've got, I've got some pretty good sort of out of the box thinking about how to approach people. And I spend a lot of time sort of plotting and developing the story and getting it together. So, you know, I, I exaggerate, but I really do have to give Jason credit. He puts in a lot of admin time mm. and marketing time to, to, but now see the cool thing now is we've reached a level where we're now developing um, relationships with pro level marketers. Like, I mean, these are people like in Hollywood who have worked for the major agencies. Um, we're currently in talks to like literally hire a manager who manages like rock and roll acts. Like, Amazing. like green day is one of his clients. Um, C is another client and he wants to take us over and start picking up some of the things that are absorbing our time. What the problem, the biggest problem we have is like people fall in love with galaxy's edge and they're like, example, I, I really want a galaxy's edge wargaming miniatures thing. We're like, we do too, but we don't have the single signal or bandwidth to actually do that. Mm. And we've, we've stopped and done that at points, but like it really like, then you find you're not producing content and the writer's job is to make content. And the readers will often come in and they love what you've done so much. And they'll say, but you should make this thing for me. And we're like, yeah, we totally want that too. And you get excited about it. And then you find that you didn't write a book for six months. And mm. so that's, that's never good. So we're at the phase now of partnering and we're actually moving into Hollywood. Um, I think our pitch deck just went to Apple today. We're supposed to meet with Netflix. We're supposed to meet with Amazon. We had to have a guy take that over. We had to have a guy come in and say, I will be the producer. I will. And we had to cut him in for percentage points Mm. Um, because we, we have to write stories. Like we, I think Jason would want to go to Hollywood and, and play that game. And I actually live near Hollywood and I could play that game, but I want to just write. And, and if I don't, if I, if I, if I get in my car and I drive to LA and I take a meeting and I have lunch and I do all that, something might come of that. And that could be really successful and things like that. But I didn't write that day. And the most important thing in my relationship with the readers is that I write. And I I think you better, I would say to the average, you know, writer, if you're going to do this sort of rapid release thing and have a brand, that better be the thing that you love. Because if, if you think like, well, if I can just get a TV show, then I'll just be on easy street. Well, I had a friend who just got a TV show and it was on Netflix and now it's canceled. So 
now you're left with just writing the series that that almost made it and you know like it had a tv show and i i can consider all of that a success mm. but how do you come back to your brand after kind of knowing it's not going anywhere anymore like it, it went to if your goal was tv land i know this guy too he's he loves writing so that's not a problem for him but i do see a lot of indie writers just they have this sort of imaginary plan in their head and it's like you know you write a book have it turned into a movie coast you know and it's like <laughs> what if that what if, what if you actually get the movie you have this base that loves your book. The movie doesn't do so well. What if it's kind of like Dark Tower? The movie doesn't yeah. find an audience. Doesn't doesn't do do. Do you love it enough to keep writing for the readers? Mm. And I would say you you really need to. I do. I I want I want to do nothing at all every day. Then write these stories and like specifically Tyrus Rex, you know, like this space bounty hunter that we have. And he's awesome. He's like Conan in space. And <laughs> I could just write that all day long, every day, forever. And I've told everybody, like, I really want to write 57 Tyrus Rex novels. Hmm. Wow. No, I think that's uh, that's really, really encouraging because um, I mean, I I love the writing that I do, but one of my aspirations is to get to a point where I've got a similar system to what you've got, but in a genre that that is my own. Um and the the question always comes to mind of obviously is sometimes it's hard enough as an indie to manage your business, your marketing and everything else. And then obviously to to take on all these other facets, all the other authors and to expand in the way that you have. How how much of your time actually do you spend physically writing and putting your putting your butt in the chair and getting the words down? Um, right now, Nicole's coming in with our sushi here. Um, <laughs> I can smell right it. it now. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It smells fantastic. <laughs> it's live and healthy. Um, <laughs> right now, uh, I write about 5,000 words a day. So, you know, that's, a, that's a fairly big chunk and that sort of absorbs most of my day. But, um, I don't really start writing until about one o'clock in the afternoon because I do a lot of, I think it's important for writers to do health. Um, because it, it, a lot of writers have heart attacks or have addiction problems, things like that. So I get up in the morning and I do my philosophical work and then I do my, my physical fitness work. And, um, then I have lunch with my wife. And so by about one o'clock, I've thought about what I'm going to write. So I'm ready to go. And then I'll write like one to five and then I'll jump into another workout just to kind of deprocess and then kind of think about the things I want to write tomorrow. And then I'll jump online on call of duty and shoot people in the face and then I'll watch some Netflix. Yeah. You know, so like, I, I think you got to kind of have a structure about what you're going to do. And I would say to the person that just heard that and said, Whoa, 5,000 words a day it took me a long time to get up to that. Cause it's a muscle. It would be the same as like, you know, do CrossFit with me now, which I do. Um, if you, if you've never done CrossFit and then you suddenly do CrossFit with me, you're going to throw up all over the place. Just like, you know, like I didn't feel well when I first did CrossFit. So it's the same thing with writing. Like if all you can do is a chapter, a section, 500 words, a thousand words, be cool with that. It's a long game. And the problem with indie publishing always is you go to 20 books and successful person gets up and tells you about their rock star lifestyle and how they've all got it glued together and their systems and their covers and like all this information comes at you and they don't tell you it took me a lot of trial and error. It took me a long time. You know, you get jazzed up to do it all right now. And that's so that's wrong. You know, I'm not saying they're, they're leading you astray. I'm just saying make you're perceiving it wrong. Mm. It's a long game start small and build. And just like, you know, if you're passionate about something, you know, 
you like like the Tyrus Rex novels, you want to do it. So just start creating content, start making your plan, start building slowly and, and just be happy with that. Swim your, as we used to say in swimming, um, professional swimming, swim your own lane. Um, you know, just, just work on your best time, learn from other people, but then don't try to compete. Don't try to try to do what they're doing. Some people are machines. Some people are lying, you know, yes. <laughs> and some people, some people you don't want their career cause their books suck. You know, like, like I think, I think the things that I've tried to download in this conversation is in integrity, you know, like write your best book. If that takes you a year, fine. If you need to take three years to stack that bet three, three great books, that's great. You're doing it absolutely right. Spoiler, I would tell you, you get faster the more you write. First book I ever wrote took me seven years. Now, I really can write a book a month if I set my, my, my mind to it. And, and I mean a good book. Like, you know, I mean, if I sit there for 30 days and write, it's going to be a lot of material. And then the, next, the month after that, I would edit. And then it would go to editing for another month after that. And it would be a book I would be very proud of. And that, you know, like I went from seven years to being able to do that now. So you get better. I just think, I think oftentimes there's this sort of like, you hear success stories and you want to go right there. And I would just say, don't do that. Success is every day. Uh, you know, work is every day. Um, there's nothing at the top of the hill. There's nothing that I have now with all my success that I didn't have when I first started, which is I love writing. It's better than working. I, I did work jobs. I was in the army. I was an actor. I did construction. I did a lot of crap jobs. And I like this job on a bad day better than I like any other job on a good day. So right there, that's the metric for success. Mm. Uh, I'm enjoying this. So, so that should be enough. And I, and I know money, I, I think success and money are very important too. And I'm not going to be one of those writers who comes in and says, you know, the writing is fulfilling enough. No, it, it really is great to make a big paycheck. And I think if you take the strategy and the steps to learn how to do that, I think it first starts with the integrity of writing the best book that you are possibly capable of, and then working with the best people to bring that book to its, its fever pitch best. And then the will to prepare for success. And that's where writers fall apart is they just want to get that book out there and they, they, they want to accidentally be successful instead of what Vince Lombardi talked about, the will to prepare. And that means the will to stack those three books. That means the will to spend money uh, on a good cover instead of a $40 cover. The will to hire David Gatehood, who's going to cost you about two to $3,000. The will to do that three times over in the closet of anonymity. And then to have your website and everything and your ground game all set up and you talk to the Mongol cons in your genre and they're, they're willing to sw you know, swap email lists on you on day one of that launch and bam, you're, you hit publish and 15 days later, they're getting book two and 15 days after that, they're getting book three and they're in the system. You know, like, are you willing to prepare for two years to have 45 days of publishing? And the answer kind of should be yes. Yeah. But I would say yeah. everybody could do it however you want. Like some people just get a thrill out of writing crap books and jamming them out. And there are people who've made money doing that, you know, and like, if you can tell a good story, I, I actually think it can overcome, overcome bad grammar. That was very much the, the beginning of the indie movement. Yeah. But do you, is that your best foot forward? Yeah. Is that, you know, you know, it's, it's the, it's the will, the, the will to succeed is important. The will to prepare is absolutely vital.
your background obviously is uh, in in acting and stage and film and all that kind of good stuff are you tempted at all or have you in any way snuck in a clause in any possible agreements to star in a adaptation of galaxy's edge have you yeah that's why i do that's (laughs) that's like the secondary reason why i do crossfit and and uh try to keep myself healthy and everything like that yeah i want to i want to jam myself into anything i want to do i want to i want to force hollywood to let me do what my talent uh obviously wasn't up to (laughs) i just like you know like i mean yeah, you know, I, I just, I still love acting and playing and that's what it is. So, you know, and anything that anybody will let me jam into, the readers will sometimes say, oh, you should really be Legion Commander Keller because of how you look and things like that. <laughs> um, you know, I'm still helping out, holding out for Tyrus Rex or, you know, if we end up doing, um, we were actually thinking about shooting the Legionnaire movie or short ourselves. And of course we would hire really young, good looking actors and we would run a boot camp. and I intend to do boot camp with them. And, you know, if I have to play scurvy, the old sergeant who sucks, um, yeah, I'm going to do whatever it takes, but you have to, you know, like, again, there's a will to prepare in there. Like, you know, you got to know you're acting and you, no matter what, it's, it's weird. You got to look good. So you got to keep yourself looking, being physically fit is looking good. That's, that's the best anybody can do. No, not plastic surgery, stuff like that. But, you know, um, I'll ask for an, I'll ask for a a fair shot. How's that sound? Mm. No, that's perfect. It's, as you were saying all this, I was, I was looking at all the covers, I was listening to what you're saying, I was like, there's definitely going to be an element in there. And, and obviously that's one of the, the benefits of doing the publishing in this kind of way is that you do have all these options to try and maximize your chances of achieving all these other side dreams as well if you follow the right path. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's, it's a whole, you know what, it's a, it, it, it it's weird. Like you start out with a great idea and, and that should be enough. Mm. And then it's just like this onion or this flower or this sort of like kaleidoscope that you twist, like with every new thing that you discover, there are 10 more things that you can get excited about. And I think like, if you feel a sense of excitement about that, instead of a sense of dread, then you're tracking on the right thing. Mm. We are unfortunately coming quite close to time now. Um, because it's annoying. You've thrown so many things my way that I'm like, I have so many questions that I can't, I can't ask, but it's fine. I'm sure we'll get you back on again. Um, one yeah, main, I'll be back anytime. Definitely. One main question that I'm going to ask before we go into the quick fire round is uh, a question that I ask everyone. And that is Nick Cole. Why do you write? Oh, I love, love to write because the stories are just inside me. And I just like, I, I, I was talking about that the other day. Cause I, when I do physical tasks, I have a tendency to be kind of clumsy. And, you know, like uh, right now I'm doing a lot of weapons training and I also do CrossFit and like, like, it's weird, this sort of like, I'm not dyslexic, but this sort of dyslexia will like come in and I kind of figured it out. I said, the reason I think that is, is I don't pay attention to what I'm doing because my head is always in the clouds and that cloud is I'm always telling stories. Even when I'm working on a book, I'm usually like thinking two or three books ahead I'm always that guy who's like, yeah, but I want to write this thing. And I have to restrain myself and like, no, you're writing this thing. But no, I'm just like, I'm, I think, I think all writers are natural daydreamers. And the sad thing is that's beaten out of us through most of our early upbringing, but it was kind of encouraged for me. And, um, and not, I didn't have hippy dippy parents. I had very yuppie eighties military industrial complex parents, um, but they kind of recognized that I, I kind of was a reader and my head was always in the clouds and I could pick up a dirt clod and that was a spaceship to me. 
So I think I write because I have to write. I would write in prison. To be fair, I would as well. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So now I have a quick fire round for you, which is myself throwing 10 questions at you as quickly as possible. I'm going to ask this question and I feel like I might know what the answer is, but I did have Jonathan Yanez on the show a couple of weeks ago and he did set a record for the fastest time this has been done. Would you like to try and beat him? Yes. Okay, let me just uh, see if I can get some kind of stopwatch up so that I can get this ready for you. Beautiful. Okay. <laughs> he was very adamant that he wanted to make this uh, quite competitive. So now I've, I've started creating a bit of a mini league for people. Uh, <clears throat> okay. Are you ready? Yes. Star Wars or Stargate? Star Wars. Favorite Stephen King book? The Stand. If you could live on any planet, real or fictional, what would it be? Mars. Uh, favorite kind of chocolate? Dark. What are you currently reading? I'm currently reading The Black Company. What's the worst film of all time? I would say, oh my gosh, this, uh, I would say uh, probably the John Travolta, um, oh my gosh, I'm blowing my time, uh, Battlefield Earth. Oceans or mountains? Oceans. Dream holiday destination? Uh, probably Grand Cayman. Favorite song? I would Say, um, Cast to the Wind by Vince Guaraldi. How many pairs of shoes do you own? Currently, I think I had eight. Awesome. That's 50 seconds. <laughs> Are you still there? I think did that, I win? I, I think it sounds. No, good. I said, did I win? Ah, uh, you no, did not, I, I, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I think one of those questions was a proper stumper, to be fair. Uh, Jonathan got 24 seconds, you got 50. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I would. I could see that in him. Um, he's actually working with us on Galaxy's Edge on the Hollywood side, and he is, he is Mr. Fast. He's also young, and as Al Pacino said in the Colin Farrell movie, agile. I like you because you're agile. So he's very... Um, he's very He's very fast. He, he is a fast guy. And I like that. And he is a wonderful human being and a great writer. And I, he is my friend too. So I, I, I'm glad if I have to be, if I have to be beat by anybody, I'm glad it's Jonathan. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to try and set up this league and publish it somewhere. But yeah, he, uh, he, he spoke quite highly of you as well. So I'm sure the, the feeling's mutual there. I, I do have one bonus question for you, which is where can my listeners find out everything about yourself, Galaxy's Edge and all your other work? Um, I think the best place that you can find it is nickcolebooks.com for my personal works. That would be things like Soda Pop Soldier, uh, American Wasteland, The Weird Series, those books. Um, the whole Galaxy's Edge series, I would just go on over to galacticoutlaws.com and you can get right into the books there, a reading list. The best place to start is Legionnaire. Um, and you dive into that and you're just going to have basically Star Wars, not Star Wars. And it's a lot of fun. Beautiful. Um, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I mean, from seeing Legionnaire first release a couple of years ago, it's been fantastic to to watch your progress. And I have been keeping an eye on it just to see where you've been going with it. And uh, to catch up and chat about it has been a pleasure. So thank you so much, Nick, for coming on the show. Thank you so much, brother. Talk to you soon. No worries. And thank you, everyone, for listening. And I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Great Writer Share podcast. Next week, I'll be talking to a memoir writer, Mag Diamond. Don't forget you can get early access to every episode of the Great Writers Share podcast and the chance to ask upcoming guests any of your questions just by becoming a patron of the show. 
All you need to do is visit www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritershare and support the show for as little as $1 a month. One more time, that's www.patreon.com forward slash greatwritershare. Until next time. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hi, I'm Jackie Johnson, the beauty talk shock jock, and I host Natch Butte, a podcast that explores the self-care space while laughing, yelling, singing, and keeping things cruelty-free. Oh, yeah. I gab with celebs, makeup artists, female indie brand owners, and fellow funny folks about what beauty and self-care mean to them, as well as what's in their bags. Looking good while doing good, we are voting with our wallets, we are buying cruelty-free products, and we are having a goddamn blast laughing with our pals while we do it. That's Natch Butte. This is the Natch Butte Pod! Welcome, baby. Listen to Natch Butte on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast, 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 Acast recommends. recommends.